Gonna have a real good time together. We're gonna have a real good time together. We're gonna laugh the child together. Have a real good time together. Welcome back. It's Jokerman Podcast again. It's the podcast about Lou Reed. It's the podcast about John Cale. It's the podcast about the Velvet Underground. And it's the podcast about Nico. Hello. This is Steve Gunn you're hearing. <laughs> uh, he's subbing in for us today. Both of us have got to run. So um, he's just going to take this one. Hey, thanks, guys. Almost a year to the day after your last appearance uh, for the Triumphant Tempest uh, episode, mm. one of our one of our greatest, most warmly received conversations. Yeah, you're fully a three timer now. Yeah, yeah, it feels good. That was that was an epic conversation. That turned into a double episode. It sure did. It? Yeah, it was like two. I think we went like two fifteen, almost like two and a half or something. But you know, when <gasps> when you're talking Tempest, you got to go long. Oh man, totally. I have nostalgia for the those heady days of the Tempest. <laughs> September 2021. The good old days. Everyone was talking about Tempest. Uh, my life was literally completely different. So uh, I guess that know. is true. Yeah. Well, you're you're in a better place now, and you're sporting a better article of clothing than you were uh, back then. Whatever shirt you were wearing last time. You want to tell us? You want to tell the folks out uh, in Jokerman Land what you're wearing there? Well, I'm I'm just uh, thrilled to be uh, able to tell you that I'm wearing a Jokerman apparel T-shirt that is brand new that I just plucked out of the mailbox for myself, uh, and it it's uh, it's it's a piece of history. It's uh, Lou Reed's yearbook photo with the caption under it, immaculately reproduced on a Comfort Colors T-shirt That's in right. ivory. That's right. Uh, sort of perfectly uh, approximates a faintly aged uh, yellowed page of a yearbook from 1960-something. Precisely. I think 1950, I guess 60, yeah, probably early. Like 60, 59? Well, no, he was born know. 42. This might have been like 1950. Yeah, it might, it might have been 58, 59, something like that. It looks like 70. Okay, I, I, yeah, yeah, late 50s. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a beautiful uh, T-shirt. I, I think it turned out great. I do too. Uh, that's uh, that's the Lewis Reed tea available now on Jokerman.net, folks. Took us about two years to get a Bob uh, merch up. Only took us about two months to get the Lou merch up. So we're uh, we're making rapid improvements on our previous uh, on our previous selves from last year. So these are these are immediately for sale now. Imme- they're for yeah. sale as soon as you as soon as folks out home uh, out there are hearing it. They're going to sell like hotcakes. How many copy? How many uh, shirts did you make? Not that many, honestly. Very few, I, actually, yeah. But yeah. Because, you know, we need to make sure that they sell. Uh, I think they will, though. I, I'm yeah. pretty confident. I want one. I want an, I want another. I'd like to get one, too. You know, <laughs> I want one to have on, and then I want to have one to look at. 
And I, I, actually, that's kind of thing about T-shirts that's uh, sort of um, poetic is that, you know, you're wearing the T-shirt, but then you don't get to enjoy it. So you got to buy ones for your friends and family so that you can have the experience of enjoying what they see on you. Do you know that's what I mean? Right. When you walk into a room with a shirt like that, that also feels quite good. It does. That's right. It feels quite good. Like if I saw you at the farmer's market, for example, and I was just trying to get some produce and I see a, a gentleman with a Lou Reed shirt, you know, with him, a, sh a photo that you don't usually see very much. No, he's intriguing. young. He's a young man. Yeah. We're going, we went back into the uh, deep, dark history of, of the history of time. Uh, we, we are actually the doing, beginning. <laughs> we're going to actually uh, continue uh doing that today because we're we're going well we're scrolling around in the timeline actually that's right this is not uh the oldest but it's not the newest of the velvet underground it's not even the velvet underground necessarily because it's missing two very important members of the velvet underground now <laughs> that's an interesting thing you say because <laughs> i i know that you have sometimes uh brought up that a certain album by a band called the velvet underground loaded mm. Uh, I, I would argue that this is, uh, you know, that that's missing, that's missing some members, and uh, you know, maybe if this isn't the Velvet Underground, then what are you saying what about is? Loaded? Listen, listen, it is the I, Velvet Underground. Isn't I go by the name on the spine. This one says Lou Reed, John Cale, and Nico. That one says the Velvet Underground. Who am I to argue with the record labels? Okay, so I guess more to the point is. Um, I don't see the, what makes, if that's, if this isn't the Velvet Underground, then why is Loaded? You know, that's my question. We'll, we'll, we'll get there when we get there. Today, we're talking about Lebataclan, 1972, Lou Reed, John Cale, and Nico's heavily, widely bootlegged performance from 1972, just the three of them, uh, that came out officially a couple years ago at this point, 2004, something like that. Uh, that was filmed and taped for French television in 1972 um, and is really an immaculate document of the three of them at a very uh, important moment in time, I, sh I would say. A very um, kind of yeah. like a, a moment of becoming, you know, where they, they, had, they had moved on from where they were, but they weren't quite to where they were going. And it's really fascinating kind of uh, just, you know, evening in, in all of their careers frozen in amber. Steve, you mentioned, I think when we messaged you, like to, you know, get you back on the show for the Lou and John stuff, like this was your suggestion. You wanted to come on for this. So what, uh, mm -hmm. what about this jumps out at you so much? This to me is, I think, basically my favorite bootleg of all time. Wow. I think <laughs> because it sort of tells this story if you know a little bit about it where you know the the, the velvet underground had broken up um it had been f almost four years three or four years since they had broken up uh lou moved home it's, i mean that's seems to me like it's folklore but there it says that he moved home to long island and worked for his dad's tax firm and kind of didn't know what to do and got some space from the city and everyone kind of fell out of touch. And this seems to be the first time that they see each other. I mean, he probably saw John Cale, but it just seems to be this interesting kind of meeting at this 
at this place, Le Bataclan in Paris. And I always, when I, when you listen to it, you can kind of like, it's such a cool introduction, like lose banter. It, like you can kind of sense what's going on the room. You can hear the crowd and it's like this packed audience and you can kind of hear, you can almost feel what the venue was like when you right. listen to it. And, you know, Lou's just super cool. He says like, you know, they're obviously like running really late and the place is packed. And, <laughs> you know, <laughs> just the intro is just so, so amazing. And I don't know, it's also really, what's really special about it too is that there's a film of, of this event. Yes. That you can watch. I mean, you can look it up on YouTube, but you can kind of see exactly what's happening and you can kind of see the dynamic on stage as well with with nico and john and lou and there's i don't know it almost feels that there's a vulnerability to it yeah. there's also this real specialness it's kind of loose um and to be able to like appreciate it in the right way you know, I think that there's like, I was reading stuff about this bootleg that came out like, I don't know, seven, eight years ago or whenever it did. <laughs> and there's like this pitchfork review. Some person's like, you know, this, the quality sucks. Their guitars are out of tune. Ugh. You know, you have to be a purist to like this. If you're, you know, maybe, maybe some Velvet Underground nerd will, will like this, blah, blah, blah. But actually Jesus. to me, it's, <laughs> to me, it's like the story, the story of the concert. Um, it is really kind of incredible and it sounds it's just them being themselves and it's it's not in a studio and it's not necessarily you can hear what's going on you can hear them having conversations there's all this like banter they're talking to each other on stage it's this real personal kind of document where you know all the other velvet underground bootlegs of course i love them but you don't get a sense of what's happening it's just like this everything's in the red it's this like forceful sort of document but right to be to be able to kind of get inside the room more like onto the stage like you can really hear them like talking to each other like tell them it's to do the, it's the last song like and it's also interesting to know like what happened since the velvets broke up like you know nico may she plays songs from marvel index marvel which index, is an amazing yeah. and and she, and uh, Desert Shore, I think she plays a song. So she does three songs in a row. Kale does like two or three of his songs. But I mean, Lou is the star of this show. Right. But it's such an interesting time because it's 1972. And I think like this is before Transformer. And I don't know, like this, this kind of seems like this real in-between time for Lou, where he's about, maybe he's, he's probably, I mean... Transformer came out shortly after this concert, so it obviously was done. It wasn't. So this was so this was recorded January seventy two. Uh, Lou was in London uh, from December seventy one to January seventy two, recording the first Lou Reed solo record, Lou Reed nineteen seventy, okay. his self titled record. Of course, right. you're you're not alone in forgetting exists. Uh, many people, <laughs> well, but it's uh, where Wild Child comes from. So like Lou had not even put out a solo record at this point, and Transformer was still several months away from even being cut, much less. I think it came out like October, November seventy two, something like that. So okay. like he was he he was Wait, trading Transformer on, came out. The first solo record came out in seventy two, or Transformer came out. Both of them came out seventy two. Yeah, but I so I think the Transformer was already recorded, right? 
I think the first I uh, I, I mean the first one came out like April 72 and I think Transformer came out like end of the year 72 which would have put so the recording time like summer um yeah it was recorded August 72 um and released November 1972 and this concert was recorded Whoa, January so 72 Okay got it got it okay Transformer oh. was still ways down yeah so that's just crazy to think about that period where Lou still, I mean, I think he's really frustrated about that first solo record. Right. Because he hooked up with um, Rick Wakeman and the, the guys from Yes. 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 Yeah. Yes. <laughs> a weird, a weird Which is such choice. a strange, for... <laughs> yeah. it's a strange pairing. I mean, this record is pretty interesting, but it just didn't seem like, it's not cohesive. At it wasn't all. happening. Yeah. Right. And then mostly all that stuff is like just extra velvets. It's just interesting to see this time because he obviously was working on Transformer and had this stuff kind of written and knew he probably was already talking with Bowie and hanging out in London. And it's crazy that all that stuff happened just in that within that same year. Right. And he's at this point, he's like really, um, it, this is a super just unique document because the way that we know any of that material from like the first Lou record is like you said played with yes and it, I mean it has not they don't sound like a prog rock band but it doesn't have this level of intimacy so I don't know that there's another recording I mean at least that I'm aware of at this point that is like him playing a song from that era in this way with this right. kind of um, no never here down I mean... approach and he's like. Uh, it just shows a really interesting side of that, that specific, that little slice of his career. And it kind of shows his expertise just as like a songwriter and player and performer. The fact that he can just go in there and pull this off pretty effortless, effortlessly. Um, and it's like, it has this cool weight, you know, to the whole performance. And to watch, you know, to watch the performance of the French TV sort of like a, I think it's like 20 minutes. They edit, I guess, like a bunch of the songs down to 20 minute, yeah. different different angle things. But just to see, I don't know, just to see him, it's like, he's not, he's just super loose. Just sounds amazing. Yeah, the, His guitar the, is pretty out of tune too, which I find really cool as well. Yeah, it, it, anyone, who, anyone who like gets hung up on that about like, I can't listen to this because Lou's guitar is out of tune. Like, you know, it's, it's, pay no mind, just completely, you know. Yeah. It's also just that this particular um, uh, group of members is really interesting because it could have easily been like, you know, you could imagine it being like Mo Tucker and John and Lou or uh, Sterling and Lou and... Uh, someone else and not john but like the three of them it's really interesting because there's like there's all this ambient feeling of like tension or these like rumors of sort of tension between the three of them which is based on like them all having some kind of an affair with nico i mean blue and john both being in relationship with nico at some point of mm -hmm. some of of a fashion and that being a factor in the band breaking up in the first place and there being tension about that. Um, and of course, on top of that, like the kind of feeling of feelings that Lou apparently had about, you know, kind of reluctantly allowing Nico to be part of the view in the first place on that 
not even part of it, just like, and Nico. Yeah, just on uh, the stage singing songs with them as her own thing, not even part of the band. Yeah, you know, she's in the record, but it's not, she's not part of the band per se. Um, and then that the three of them get together and do this, it, it adds to that feeling of um, specialness. And you really like notice, especially in the video, these moments when they actually seem to have like some, some sort of sweet moments. It's interesting to see John too, because I don't, think he gets enough credit i mean it's important that the three of them are there sterling morrison's always kind of an outsider i mean i love his guitar playing he's such a he's probably one of the cooler guys in the band in my opinion um <laughs> and, and and like mo also great drummer but also a bit sort of out like sort of you know not quite as important obviously she's important but well, not as she wasn't. She's not a she's not a stage star in the way. Yeah, that, more like, important to the sound of the band than like the mythos yeah, and like the yeah. look and and legend. I think that John, he and to see this the film particularly and to listen to the demo, but the film, you can see him kind of like he has notes on his piano, like Lou is just. I mean, he's just playing the songs and and John is holding the whole thing together. Right. Really, and you when you think about it, and when you think about the Velvet Underground, and you think about their relationship musically, you know, Lou was just sort of coming. I mean, he was coming from a literary background, and but he was more of a, a traditional songwriter uh, in a way, you know, more inspired by Tin Pan Alley and and soul and doo wop rather than experimentalism. Um, and when he met John, John was this classically trained musician who was a part of the art world and who was cool. Of course, they meet Andy Warhol and all this stuff and the band is formed. But the the, the sort of like synthesis of John and Lou is the band. And yeah, exactly. the, how the musicianship of the band is more is more John. All the arrangements is John. Like he can do, you know. He's playing piano, he's playing 12 string, he's playing viola, he's like doing harmonies. He really also, is the music on this yeah, record. Like, like Lou accompanies him on guitar here and there, but yeah, in this instance in particular, like John is the musician. Yeah, John's killing it. I mean, Lou is incredible in his own in his own right on this on this performance, on this record. He's really in this amazing spot and in this amazing place. But I guess I just wanted to point out that John also, when you watch the film and listen to the record, when he starts, when he pairs up with Nico, um, you realize that he also was producing Nico's music after right. the Velvets, you know, Marble Index and Desert Shore. He, he had a huge hand, particularly in Marble Index, where when she's playing the harmonium and he starts oh, yeah. playing the viola, you're like, oh my gosh, that's, that's the, those are the records. That's like, it. Yeah, that's, that's the, the sound. sound. It's so cool. Yeah, it's amazing. And they really get into it on 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 this bootleg. And that's a lot to listen to. You know, it's like you want to listen to like it's kind of top loaded with some really rad loose stuff. But if you listen to the whole this whole bootleg all the way through when you get to the Nico stuff and they start doing the longer form pieces with her vocals, you can tell that they worked on music a lot together post Velvets. Mm -hmm. And like they have a thing, they had this connection. Yeah, they're all and, equals you know, up like, there. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty phenomenal. I mean, there's, it seems to me that Nico is particularly 
vulnerable up there you know like Lou obviously thinks of himself he's already a star and will sort of already project into being a bigger star um but like Nico you can kind of tell when she starts singing she's like seems like she's like pretty nervous you know but she she gets more relaxed but it's it's pretty and you can hear it in her singing it's pretty it's so cool to see that and to hear it you know yeah we should probably we should we should probably dive in so we've we've prattled on for 20 minutes already <laughs> all right all right all right hello it took us a while to get here this is a song about copying drugs in uh drugs in new york first song is i mean just Classic. sitting down and and hearing oh, them, like sort of like loosely like ramble into this like it's... tumbling in like a tumbleweed with I'm waiting for the man Way that Lou's voice sounds also yeah, in this. So like, like he sounds like he's got a frog in his throat the entire. It's like four octaves lower than usual, yeah. and his voice also, is already so. He sounds like so out of this world. I picture him. He's he seems a little wine drunk or like up, maybe yeah. on something. Something. <laughs> he's a little glassy. His eyes are a little like, but he's but he's sort of happy. He has this sort of glow. He has this glow to him. The way he's playing, even if you didn't see the visual, is uh, like kind of just like so um, staccato in this way. That's like I don't know. It's it's just got this really unique interpretation of the original. It's the first time they really are looking back uh, ever, and right. you know it's something they'll all they'll all do, all of them. Everybody in the band will oh, later yeah. look back upon the early days. But this is the first time that they've had enough space where they, they're reapproaching it, revisiting it. I think this is. I, I could be wrong on this, but I think like you know. So there's John and the Velvets, sixty, you know, sixty six to sixty eight, basically. And then there's this in seventy two. And then I think this is like the only time that Lou and John perform, at least you know, that's that's hearable to us, like on a recorded format like this, until just we them. get to. Yeah, just the two of them until we get to like Drella, basically. Yeah, and um, and the, yeah, the reunion. I was thinking about and then the Drella, reunion yeah. exactly. Yeah. This, yeah, I was. I I texted Evan like when I mean, a couple of weeks ago or something. I like I, this seems like the prequel to Drella to me. Basically, it does, like, yeah. like the sound yeah. of Drella is all here already. No percussion. It really yeah. it, it's the first part of a trilogy. There's this. There's songs for Drella, and then there's the reunion shows. Right, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and those are. I mean, this is the 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 only other case where that ever happened. You know, it was recorded as a reunion. And those final reunion shows are some of the best. I mean, to me, it's the it's the best thing. It's maybe the best thing ever. 
like just it's the best thing ever <laughs> yeah they're so, cool there's so this great. i went to the i went to the lou reed um exhibit that's you went to the Re- exhibit yeah hell yeah, yeah. I, went, I went to it and um there's this footage it's it's before they did the official reunion tour you know that was in venues and clubs and there was an opening, like I think Luna was the opening band and all this stuff. Oh, but shit. there was there was like a reunion before that, and there's this footage of them playing, and it's outside. It looks like they're playing on a stage somewhere in the woods. Something. Yeah, yeah. This was the, <laughs> the, one of their greatest looks. This was right around look the trailer amazing. period. Yeah. Maybe. Did- I mean, maybe it's a little bit after. And then you know, Lou was playing the Steinberger. They play heroin. They play heroin, and it's like so savage. I think they're in Central Park, actually. Maybe it's Central Park. They're in New York. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it's 1990, so it's actually before Songs for Jella. Uh, New York uh, Fund, New York uh, Foundation Cartier Cartier presents Velvet Underground. (laughs) Cartier presents the Velvet. (laughs) That's that's chocolate and peanut butter. I mean, that's (laughs) that's a very natural combination. (laughs) God. Uh, well, let's move on along to. Um, let's move on to his his Barbara Lou's Barbara Streisand <laughs> song. <laughs> it's so fucking good. It's called the Wind. New song. It's my Barbara Streisand song. This is a standout from the whole recording. Oh for yeah, me. so because sure. it's just like. It's so it's so cool. I mean, it's so effortless. Again, it's like he's just you know he's he has to no, say it's yeah the Barbara Streisand song because he's trying to be humble about how good it is. Like he's just like <laughs> this is my like show tune, but it, it it is. But it's also he's great at writing show tunes. I think he felt a little. I think he felt a little insecure about it at this moment because this is like totally it's also, different. It's, it's not out yet. Exactly. Right? Yeah, it's yeah, not I out. Mean, it's not in context. It's totally different than what where where we last saw him on loaded yeah. with fucking here comes the sun and you know train coming around the bend here and stuff like sun. that. Excuse me. You know, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, who loves who loves the sun? I always fucking get that confused. <laughs> here I am. Who it's, loves the sun? Yeah, it's purple Jews again all over. It. Um, yeah, it's amazing, amazing performance. There's, this is also on that uh, on the video, and it's Lou and John. Like this is one of the the earlier songs on that twenty minute uh, tape that you were talking about, Steve. And Lou's mm-hmm. just like sitting there, like with a cigarette for most of this song, yeah, and just and like he, not even speaking or singing. He's so good. It's coolest, it's coolest incredible. mother ever, ever. He also does like I don't know if it's this song or or the beginning wait for a man but he does these like tongue moves kind of like weird sort of like <laughs> grotesque he adds tongue. yeah and he kind of he shakes his head in this weird kind of like glam rock way i think he's kind of sh- still sort of shaking that off i don't know we're getting into the he's glam shaking rock into it yeah you can into it yeah we were in So so nice. Candlelight to Benet on ice. Don't you forget, hire a vet. You know. Yeah, he's he definitely seems like he's like. 
he's got like a stage presence here, like he's playing a part, but it's so different than like, because I think about Rock and Roll Animal, right? Like that performance is going to be 18 months from now, and he's playing these same kind of songs, like all the Velvets hits and the early solo stuff. But that that version of himself versus this version of himself, like two completely different kinds of things. He's very subdued. Totally. And he has like, his style is interesting. He's like, it's 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 not you know he's just wearing like a it looks like he's just wearing like a suit jacket his hair is a little bit long so it's kind of like you know like not 60s ish he's like it's 72 so it's he's maybe has a little bit of 70s style but he doesn't get it i mean he's gonna go completely turn a different corner no dog collar on this one no no this was like around that that period where Dylan, there's that one photo of him with like a Jufro, a mustache, and glasses, oh, right, and the mustache and, and a the bandana. bandana. Yeah. yeah, it's like th- this was like that prime, like health food store, uh, early '70s vibes. Totally. But uh, this this pr- performance of Berlin, I don't know. I, I I've been thinking it's a lot incredible. about Berlin just because like I've been listening to Lulu a lot lately, and I I really feel like you know, it's the sequel to Berlin and you listening to it with that in mind, it's like you cast your mind back to earliest days of that appearing like right here. And Mm -hmm. um, you see that there was always this really uh, serious and um, adventurous narrative spirit that really blossomed on that song and only continued to like reappear in various forms. Mm -hmm. Um, and it it's just a great um a great expression of it here yeah it's uh it's incredible lose vocal take also like he really kind of leans into it towards the end of it um mm-hmm. and just like re- like he, and he calls it the Barbara Streisand song at the beginning i think he really understands that there's like a sense of drama to this song and so he gives it this sense of drama and it's like almost just like speak singing at the beginning of the song. Mm-hmm. And then by the end of it, when he comes in on the acoustic accompanying John on the piano and really kind of like goes up a key on the vocals and like really starts singing, it's, it's amazing. You're right and I'm wrong. You know I'm going to miss you now that you're gone. One sweet day. Again, John kills it on piano. John's accompanying, like playing on all this, is really amazing to me. Like, it is because you know, like mean, this is ostensibly a song that he like maybe heard like a month, like because the record wasn't even cut at this point. Like how no. how, how many times did John heard Berlin? And I mean, he just probably, sounds like the most natural kind of like perfect accompaniment you can imagine. I'm imagining they like got to Paris that day, considering their all their schedules. They did have a rehearsal. There was a rehearsal. So 
because there there are some tape like i have a bootleg i have a, like various versions of this bootleg and there's a recording of the rehearsal too yeah there's a couple um, there's like, like i think you do like pale blue eyes during the sound check or something right yeah yeah maybe it's the sound check but maybe it was earlier in the day it almost sounds right. like it's in a different room like mm. it's not it's not like on stage it's like in some dressing room somewhere or something they must they, they must have gotten together and like went over the songs uh, that's a, I, I, I had all these different sort of theories when lou arrives and he's like hello <laughs> took us a while to get here i, I imagine them like they're at some restaurant and they're like drunk and they're just super laissez-faire about arriving you know and like nico doesn't arrive till later but she actually was there the whole time because <laughs> you can see her on the side of the stage yeah she's just sitting there like watching them like a member of the audience basically but yeah, she's lit it's and crazy yeah, it's, it's a really wild kind of stage setup and then the uh, the bro moment like only increases in intensity because the next song is like the most kind of the most intimate creative expression that the two men have had up to this point. Black Angel's Death Song. Black Angel's Death Song. Maybe my favorite song. Like, we're already we're only three songs in, but like yeah. this is maybe my favorite one in the entire series. As uh, Jake Longstreth would, would say, uh, it's a strong choice. This is a uh, song from our first album that was turned unintelligible and it very well may be. It's called the Black Angels Death Song. Just the way they clarify this song, you know, and because like, you know, we talked to Michael Imperioli about the initial record a couple weeks ago, and I think one of the, the quotes that we pulled up was like, you know, this was Lou just kind of like spitting, you know, trying to do his best Dylan, but also doing a Lou thing, like a combination, and the song is really sort of just sort of supposed to be this oral, you know, A-U-R-A-L, oral experience, and but like this performance of it, I think really highlights how strong and solid the bones to this song are because it really is like an amazing track and just the way they put it across with the acoustic and the viola like it's it's fantastic it's really really good kills it yeah of his fate set themselves out upon a platform to choose what had he to lose not a ghost blooded country or covered with sleep where the black angel did weep not an old city street in the east gone to choose It's such a it's such a cool choice. Like when you picture two, three people on stage. I mean, that song's so huge on the record. It's like this buildup of tones and feedback, and you're like filling up the room with sound. And then, and they can just like he can just spit. I mean, it's a lot of words as well. It's like it's almost like a rap song. Where it's like da 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 da, and it's like right. there's no real repeating. It's just like. You know, no, just every second going is... and going and going. It's like that's a lot, man. And 
the way that they play it, it just they lock into this thing. It's, it's just so it's so cool. It's super yeah. cool. John and the viola also just fucking amazing. Just like mm-hmm. going up and down. Like mm-hmm. man, he rocked. John Cale, <laughs> good at music. <laughs> he rocks. <laughs> we don't have to jump ahead too far, but like his songs are so strong as well. Like he picks up the guitar and starts singing, and it's like holy shit. Like, he rocks. If the stone glances are spit didactics into leave the color of mass trails all green try between but if you choose I oh, if you choose choose to lose for the loss of refrain come and start start the game I cheat chi 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 I chi 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 Kataku Um, Black Angels, that song, amazing. Wild Child. Songs about, a, songs about a wild child, according to Lou. There's a new song. It's called Wild Child. It's about a wild child. Funnily enough. talk about those like weird choices but it's only weird in retrospect because at the moment like who knew that this song would be utterly forgotten but uh <laughs> i love this song i, I like, love this song too yeah. i think this is the best song from that first lou record really yeah totally i like it too always comes back to lorraine they love it yeah it's really good i was talking to phil he was addicted to pills and small racing cars he had given them up since his last crack up had carried him too far. And we spoke in rhythm and verse about the different ways an actress can hold her purse and the way life at times could get worse than we talked about the rain. It's, I th- it's a perfect kind of like slice of life new york like just people in a room kind of song that mm-hmm. lou obviously was like so interested in writing um and it's i don't know it's so it's so catchy and so fun um it's almost like a doo-wop song yeah you know, exactly a it's a moment play, of levity you know? exactly like look at the yeah. fucking songs we've heard so far waiting for the man berlin black angel like we need we need to catch our breath for yeah. a second yeah let's so start <laughs> you know we we've been talking a lot about doo-wop because doo-wop just came up uh, on the pod recently because it can't not when you're talking about Lou Reed but mm-hmm. it's just uh, interesting how Lou, like Dylan sort of you know took blues and folk and added his own uh, spin his personal uh, lyrical peculiarities to that to those yeah. genres and then Lou kind of just does that with doo-wop and, and other forms of early pop music um it's a parallel track uh, where yeah. he's not interested in the folk and blues aspect as much as the like soul and doo-wop. Mm-hmm. It's true. It's also interesting to hear the demos, the earliest versions of any Velvet's demos. You can hear 
still an influence. You can hear like the cadence that Lou is singing in. Right. Is like he's projecting in this like Dylan-esque kind of way, which I find, which is really interesting. But at you're right. At the same time, he wasn't. They diverge at a certain point. Yeah. Like he, he was more urban. He wasn't, you know, going down to the Dust Bowl and looking for obscure troubadours and blues musicians and country music no he was looking more in an immediate way i think that kind of is something that differentiates dylan and lou reed is that dylan is kind of always looking for like the essential timelessness of um on like a grander perspective of americana and american history and um lou lou seems to be more about finding the essential timeless aspects of urban life and yeah. dylan dylan seems to uh you know <laughs> not come and go from the city well early on you know he comes and goes from he the was city. a very yeah he was more, on, you know on the box like car. a folk, folk club he was he was into that the city in that way i just I mean in, in terms of his lyrical focus it's like right the thing that's great about a lot of dylan is that it you'd think he would be like talking more about new york and he does, and then he just, you're suddenly in uh, in Mobile, Alabama. Well, remember, Bob only is in New York from 62 to, like, 67, basically, and then he comes back for a couple years in the 70s, but, like, beyond that, he's either up in Woodstock or out in Malibu. Like, Lou is, uh, like, on the island of Manhattan for he's decades and decades and decades, exactly. Yeah, yeah. He's out on the corner, like, you know. That's right. A <laughs> suitcase in his hand. There really ought to be a, a bronze <laughs> well, statue of Lou Reed holding a suitcase somewhere be. in Manhattan. There really should. Yeah, just on he's some random his, fucking corner. He's Standing riding on, his, on Honda, his Honda scooter around. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, the, that's a separate bronze statue in the, just the <laughs> middle of the country somewhere where he's just on the Honda or upstate New York. We've got one of him on the Honda, the GPZ. <laughs> um, did you see the photo of him on the motorcycle? That's a good one, like kind of later era. Lou on a motorcycle? Yeah, he was really into motorcycles. He had like motorcycle buddies and would do rides and stuff. And well, Lou Reed motorcycle. We all like motorcycles. Plugging this into Google right now. To some degree. I think I even have it. Like I have, I was looking at uh, Anthony the Curtis's book before we talked, and I think it's in there. It's fantastic image. Oh, I see this. Wow, this is amazing. Yeah, it's like 1996 era Lou or yeah. something. He's got the glasses. Yeah. He's so. literally outside a hard rock cafe. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. This picture rocks. I've never seen it. You, you're nailing it. Can you share it to the screen? Brilliant. Yeah. Oh, dude, that's sick. That's not Here the one go. I was talking about. But wait, 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 wait. Is he in a... He's in a priest outfit. It, well, yeah, no, he's I got think the he's fucking thing with collar. I think he's just in a Nehru collar that's popped up, and it looks at a glance that he is dressed as a whatever he's in. He's looking swag. He looks exactly. incredible. We gotta put the post that one. <laughs> that's the next shirt right there. It is. Yeah, <laughs> that's terrific. Uh, is he wearing? He's wearing Reeboks. He's wearing some sort of sneakery. Oh, kind he's of wearing Reeboks. Oh High top Reeboks. Yeah. Sick. Mid top black Reeboks. Incredible. And what looked to be just Levi's 501s and like a Nehru collar blazer and, and the a black rimless t-shirt. circular glasses. Your favorite. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Great minds. Dude, do you see this photo? This is what I'm talking oh, about. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that one. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it is man. in the Curtis book. That's right. Yeah, I remember seeing that. that. Just that out in the field. Incredible. Like in Jersey somewhere. 
You don't picture Lou in the got, in the green field with the blue sky. It's so it's so kind of weird. This is legendary hearts there, it looks like. Is that the helmet? The legendary hearts helmet. That is the helmet. Oh, this yeah, is an yeah, amazing yeah. photo of him with the yeah. helmet. And he's this is like uh the the rides he sort of references on like uh bottoming out where he and uh I guess on new sensations later. This episode of Jokerman Podcast is presented by DistroKid. Over a million artists rely on DistroKid to distribute their music and get it into all of the places it needs to go. Your Spotify's, your Apple Music's, your YouTube's, your TikTok's, your Tidal's, your Instagram's, and any other streaming service of note. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy. With unlimited uploads and artists keeping 100%, that's right, 100, all of them, folks, of their royalties and earnings. DistroKid comes with tons of great features, including Mixia, which allows DistroKid users to put the finishing touches on their tracks in just minutes, getting a customizable and polished end result that anyone can feel confident in before sharing it with the world. The DistroKid app is available now on iOS and Android. So go to the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store to download it today. I wonder if Lou and Bob ever like kind of caravan together on their hogs. Probably that's not. A beautiful but that's just a beautiful kind of image. bit of fan fiction imagine? I'm writing yeah. in my head. <laughs> oh man! Someday somebody's gonna post. Uh, <laughs> I hope Lou and Bob are both uh, riding their Harleys in heaven. <laughs> exactly. Oh, <laughs> No, no, never mind. Don't, don't I, speak about that. Bob Dylan, Dylan is a touring. Dylan will never be in that Bob situation. Bob playing 150 shows in the year 2022. I hope he's playing he's, one of those great shows in heaven. He's in the middle of his prime right now. <laughs> yeah, he's just getting started. Exactly. And the show's just getting started. <laughs> With um, we, we just go from Wild Child into Heroin. We've got Black Angel's death song, Wild Child into Heroin. I don't know just where I'm going, but I'm going to try for the kingdom if I can, cause it makes me feel like I'm a man. When I put a spike into my veins. Oh, I tell you, things aren't quite the same When I'm rushing on my run And I feel just like Jesus' son And I guess I just don't know And I guess that I just don't Doesn't get any better, folks. It's heavy. It's so cool. It's so cool with heroin too, because Kale starts playing and like the crowd obviously is super like focused and it's just there's a moment where people recognize the song. It's just like holy yeah, shit. kind of comes. Yeah, you can hear it kind of emerge from the yeah, fog, and there's like a ripple so of applause cool. and like people kind of like sucking their voice in or sucking their breath, their <laughs> breath in, like oh, they, oh, they're about to do it. Yeah. Oh yeah, boy, they're so about good. to do it. I've been thinking and then they about do it. Yeah, they do it. I've been thinking about like the way they perform it, like to get just like the two of them 
like this just like super stripped down because like my god it is just too this happens all the time with the velvet underground where you you really don't even realize how much your imagination fills it in like i watched this great documentary on on youtube this guy made i don't recall his name at the moment but a really good little fan documentary about mo tucker and it shows he sets up every setup that she had for each song and you don't even it's just mind-blowing because like femme fatale literally just a tambourine mm-hmm. like these other and run 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 just a snare drum like there's yeah. these songs that you just like think of as being so much you imagine there's a full kit like it feels like there is and that's the power of them is they can just have john and lou and it feels like more important you know bigger than a than a, a real big band could ever be Wish that I was born a thousand years ago Sail the darkened seas on a great big clipper ship going from this land here to that. Put on a sailor's suit and cap. just the two of them which is so kind of like fascinating to me because the velvets you think of is like you know when they were in their prime prime you know 67 68 like just this wall of noise and just insane murderous kind of guitar feedback just like kill your eardrum sort of thing and this is like as far away from that as you can possibly get like i was thinking about you honestly steve because your most recent tour like it was just you up there right with the guitar basically and like I don't know. It feels like there's got to be such a different kind of mental approach towards attacking your songs when it's just you or like just you and one other. And as in this case, versus when you've got a whole electrified percussion mm-hmm. kind of band behind you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's a completely different thing and you, ha- you have to kind of stand with the music and pro- project it differently and offer it differently. And you know it's an interesting way to play if you do come up with songs to try to i mean some people can't you know i know people who are like i can't play without a band i need and i and i totally get it but i really like when songs take other formations and like form into to different things and they are they're constantly changing and morphing into all you know if you play it solo you're going to obviously play it different with the band and it's like a whole completely different momentum. And I think this is a perfect, probably one of the best examples. 
it strikes me as like a totally different kind of skit. Like it's the same song, right? Uh, yeah. But like getting up there and playing it with an electric band and a bunch of people behind you and amps versus getting up there just fucking by yourself and singing it into a mic and strumming an acoustic guitar or playing the, like, seem like to like just two totally different distinct it skills, is. even though it you're is. doing, yeah. you know, performing the same lyrics basically in the same melody. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It is. And next, we've got another great example of that with uh, Ghost Story. It was seven o'clock in the morning Too late to handle the day At home it was only 2.30 Skin on my wrist turning gray Looked up, wished us good luck John takes the lead. Here comes John. Comes in and crushes it. Just straight up. Kills it. Another, like, deep cut, even for John Cale at yeah. this point. Like, John Cale only makes deep cuts at this point, and uh, he's performing a, a deep cut of that. Yeah, I think, I think this song was already out. I think this is on Vintage Violence. Yeah, it Vintage was, Violence yeah. was out, but this so, was like this oh. is like buried kind of at the end of Vintage second Violence. Second to last, not a popular or second to last song. I think yeah, yeah something yeah, like that. And yeah. on the record, it's remember it's got that like crazy fucking organ that kind of mm -hmm. takes it through the entire, and it that's completely mm -hmm. absent. It's like almost on the record to me, it's like almost kind of a novelty song just the way that he puts yeah. it across like with that organ and the really kind of spooky dracula's castle vibe that he conjures up but here it mm -hmm. really sounds like just like a a solid strong fucking such a cool song, song. Yeah. yeah exactly it's also really rad to see the film because lou's playing backup guitar mm -hmm. and he's just watch he you can tell he just barely knows the tune and he's just like <laughs> he's kind of laughing at john and but he's like you know he's supporting the song it's really funny yeah, he's that, really he seems like he's really into it too which is really sweet to see that yeah kind of a reversal of their usual dynamic yeah. where lou's yeah. taking the lead and john is you know the expert musician keeping yeah. up with him you know effortlessly in this case john's taking the lead and lou maybe not the expert musician having to sweat a little bit more just to keep up <laughs> on the chord changes yeah, yeah but you could yeah you on the movie or the the movie or the film like you can see them kind of smiling at each other there's this great moment where john literally just like cracks a grin looking at lou mm -hmm. playing guitar right next to him and just the two of them hunched over their guitars together at the start at the foot of the stage it's so i, I love seeing it it's beautiful yeah. it's rom romance for the ages the two of them for sure incredible stuff what the fuck is the next this next one <laughs> the biggest, biggest loudest scariest? hairiest group of them all i kind of yeah. love this song yeah, yeah, I, I just don't know anything about it what's the date today is it gonna rain can i leave you now before the show Who's that other band? Just another one-night stand. They can sing and play as well as us. Just a week ago we were in Texas. Tomorrow night we play the Albert Hall. Sorry, there's no time to talk to you right the loudest, hairiest group of all. 
I don't think it saw any release or anything. I don't know. It's such a funny tune. Um, it feels like a like a Woody Guthrie song or something. It's kind of like it's, got this it's like, like funny super humorous because it's about being like a being like a hair a hair band and like being on tour. It's 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 pretty hilarious. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> like campy and weird, you know. Another yeah. uh, much needed, I think, uh, or maybe not much needed, but appreciated moment of levity. Of levity, uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. And then we've got e- empty bottle. I'm like an empty bottle, drained of everything left in my mind. Checking out life on the dark side, right down the road till the end of time. That's um. Do you know this? Um, Kale, Kale produced this record. This woman, Jennifer. The record's called Jennifer. I think her name is Jennifer Warrens, and she was she was in. She sang with Leonard Cohen. I don't know if they were a couple, but they were like oh, friends. Yeah, I and see this. Yeah, Jennifer is the third album by singer Jennifer Warrens, released Jennifer on Reprise Records in '72, produced by John Cale. John Cale. Third song on the record. Sure enough, "Empty Bottles," written Empty by John Bottle. Cale. It's so good, and and that version, that song on that record is really good. That Jennifer tune. It's this like, is wild. Yeah, yeah I, it's a great. The record, the whole record's not amazing, um, but that song in particular. I mean, John's version on the. At, at Botacon is amazing, but um, that record is super cool, and it's one of those records that Kale produced that was never didn't really, you know, wasn't really like didn't see much much yeah. popularity. It or wasn't whatever. wasn't horses or uh, the yeah. first Modern Lovers record or the Stooges record. Yeah, right, exactly. Empty, empty Then we've got Femme Fatale next. Is that right? Uh, that is, uh, yes. Yeah. Entrance so of here Nico comes, as well. Here comes Nico. Which is super intense and wonderful. It's yeah. so wild that she's just been like sitting across. Like it's, they've been on stage. The two of them have been on stage for like 45, 50 minutes. And she's just been sitting there just like stage right. Just chilling. And yeah. now she just walks on. Just like walks on stage. And it's like, man. It's like it's it's you never want to it's think intense. these people as like yeah. you never want to think of them as like you know like um legends or like superheroes or something like that but like it really is just like fucking amazing to think like Lou and John have just been sitting there playing together and just boom here's Nico all this you ever seen that video of Nico um playing covering heroes by David Bowie I have I not and it. her eyes Oh, it's later. It's like, yeah, 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 yeah. It's like right before that. the end. It's like really haunting. Her eyes are like 
She looks like a raccoon. It's like intense. And mm-hmm. it's a really great cover. I wouldn't say she's she just seemed like she a little bit ragged, like maybe wobbly, has, maybe like a little wobbly and a little wide eyed kind of. Um, but but in this, I mean, it, it makes sense considering it does her yeah, ambition. Probably. I mean, her ambition is just so great as an artist. I mean, we're, we're talking about Femme Fatale here, which is not like I'm getting ahead of myself because she just I think she does great. Uh, they all sound great. It's so Femme cool. Fatale. Like once you get like three quarters of the way through to Femme Fatale, she starts getting comfortable. Yeah. And you can tell that she's like enjoying herself and like connecting with the crowd. And Yeah, she's smiling in the video. Yeah, and it's it's yeah. very sweet and um, yeah, it's, it's great to watch. Yeah. In that video, you know, she's kind of the conclusion of the um of the, the 20 minutes or whatever that are available on Vimeo. And I think it is Femme Fatale that is that they ended on. They, they lean more towards the velvet stuff in that, um, mm-hmm. in that, in that film for obvious reasons. And it really like, just like the, the, the camera is just like glued to her fucking face. Like the, the same way that it is like Bob, like on rolling thunder material. And the light is just like shining in her eyes. And like, she's almost got like a sparkle to her or something mm-hmm. on the film. Yeah. And it's like, it, you real, I mean, obviously, like ethereal and otherworldly. These are words that are often applied uh, towards Nico or used, uh, you know, to describe her. But like, <laughs> I mean, when you watch this video, like there, there aren't any other words to explain it. Like, it, it she seems like she's from another fucking dimension. Yeah. I feel like this this song feels the most like it just jumped straight from the first record onto the stage. It just right. feels like it's the moment of really just feeling like the three of them are truly back there again doing doing it as this is the velvet underground you know as much as anything else is trilogy here at the end no one is there frozen warnings janitor of lunacy which i don't you know that I, I i've only seen that 20 minute clip i don't know if there is a longer version of the show that was filmed that is available i somewhere wish else. there was somewhere yeah it might be like on the bonus disc of the actual physical set or something like that if someone mm-hmm. out there has it you know send it our way but that's all i've seen anyways I, this feels like the moment when lou really kind of like fades to the background and And this this is is john and nico's show at this point yeah they totally connect which i mean they were totally connecting artistically here and you know this is what i was kind of referring to a minute ago of like you know a song like janitor of lunacy and frozen warnings both of those feel like um in some ways just like nico picking up 
things from John and taking them in so, uh, a little further, or both of them kind of going even a little further than he would sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, they feel like more and, of a natural kind of artistic pairing, I think, than Nico and Lou do. Well, it's a great uh, parallel artistic pairing to Lou, to, to Lou and John. There's the John and Nico pairing, which is such a, um, you know, it's like two people to, who are the interested in pushing the art uh, angle of, or just pushing the, the experimentalism and, and abstraction of the lyrics and the music. Yeah, it feels kind of like John like sits in between, like he's in the middle, like Lou's off on one side, like yeah. he's in the doo-wop world, and Nico is off in this fucking like marble statue, you know, the god on earth, like droning, ethereal, dramatic music, and John can go in either direction. Like, mm-hmm. Well, that's the thing, he's got a foot in both worlds, that's right. like why, why he's, it's why he's uh, so incredible, and it's also why he's not as well known, is because... I think it's uh, just infinitely h- harder to, for the music industry to classify someone like that um, and to market them. And so he's never really gotten his due, I think, largely for that reason, that he's just so great at both things. And all of the sort of droney, the droney aspect of the Velvets really comes from his work being classically trained and then being on ensembles with like Lamont Young and that whole like, yeah, experimentally theater. trained. Yeah. I mean, theater of eternal music and these like long form, really droney pieces. He's so, he's such an expert in that field too. And yet I don't think he gets a lot of credit for his knowledge of that music and what he brought into the band. And it's very clear with Nico when she starts playing his harmonium that he's kind of getting, he's getting all intertwined with her, with this harmonium. And it, it becomes this completely spectral sound, this huge sound that she can, and she's also an incredible singer. So it almost becomes yeah. this operatic elevated sort of music where like it's so much, it's so beyond anything that what, what, what the Velvets or what, you know, what Lou well, it, it's, a, it's, it's picking up and carrying something they introduced, but she really does take it to another place. Like, yeah. But John, I mean, just to see them and to hear them do this together, just the two of them, you're like, oh, okay, that's that sound. The, this is the sound of Marble Index. This is the sound of Desert Shore. It's like they figured out this territory and it totally morphed into a completely different completely different entity than anything else that they were doing i almost don't want to talk too much about these songs because we will be giving them their full due on their on their own episodes about these records we're doing yeah absolutely i mean they they deserve uh every bit of a a same amount of attention as anything that Lou, lou or john ever did True. This this again though like just the same way that like the live uh, you know with a band versus live solo sort of thing seem like two totally different worlds two totally different skills that one individual person might not you know be master uh, be a master of both like this not, not these songs necessarily but like this this more drony kind of ambient you know non commercial non pop songwriting again seems like something just totally from a different part of your brain, a different kind of um, uh, a different kind of skill and, and impulse, and like uh, like you, Steve, I think have have done a really great job, like in your career between your 
you know, quote unquote, pop records, your songwriting records versus something you've done like with John, uh, Trusinski, Trusinski, yeah, is is that like, is is the process of putting a record like that together versus something like, you know, uh, Other You or Way Out Weather, like, are those totally different kind of creative experiences for you or do they feel more like they come from the same place or? I think they're different. Um, I, I take... I like to to think about like when I'm doing a song to think in terms of the way that I work with John and some of the more improvised music that I make, but it is different. I think the music that I do that's more kind of like instrumental or improvised is it's obviously just a different, it's all about texture and feel and playing and listening as well. Uh, You know, obviously all this stuff carries into the song aspect of what I do, but I'm also thinking about lyrics and singing and more arrangement kinds of stuff. But, you know, so it's a different process. Um, I like to think of both kind of on the same terms in a lot of ways where I treat, the music may sound different, but creatively I'm thinking about it along the same lines as far as improvising goes, as far as listening and reacting to things goes. It's, I kind of, work in the same way but i think there's just a different interaction i think the relationships you have with musicians are in myself it sounds you know like someone like john kale uh too where he has this relationship with nico he's got this relationship with with john he can adapt to different situations and he writes his own music um i think that it's to me it's it's amazing that people can kind of cross into this sort of genreless existence as an artist where they're not categorized as the one thing or that and expression can kind of take manifestations in different ways right yeah uh, not to get too uh, wordy about it but please you know. that's that's what <laughs> that's what a fucking podcast is for is guess, getting uh, way too yeah. wordy about <laughs> stuff that uh, you, you otherwise wouldn't need to So without going uh, neck deep into Nico's uh, lyricism and everything, um, suffice it to say, we'll get there and give it its uh, due, but we will uh, acknowledge here that it's uh, very good live. And that's kind of the the lead in, I mean, yeah, I'm sorry. It's great live. (laughs) And uh, we kind of actually lead into the end with that. because the last song is next. Um, the last song before the encore, that is. Right. And that's I'll Be Your Mirror. I'll be your mirror, reflect what you are. 
you don't know, I be the wind, the rain and the sunset, light on your door, to show that you're home, when you think the night has in your mind, and inside you're twisted and unkind. Let me stand to show that you are blind. Please put down your hands, cause I see you. I mean, what a what a beautiful set list. Like it's really incredible. Yeah, it's just a set list that um, I think says everything you need to know about this show and its importance. And you know what, how how wrong Pitchfork uh, can be <laughs> is that like the um, the set list here is all about honoring each of them with like a really special moment for each of them as individual artists on the path toward their own individual careers and. And their own journeys of as being uh, musicians in their own right. It's and like, I, yeah, and I also think it's an important concert. It's an important moment in all of their lives. Um, you know, Lou particularly, like he's on the cusp of, he's probably at this point, he probably doesn't know he, like how his career is going because his first album was got panned really. I mean, so he's, He's probably in this space where he's like, doesn't know what's happening. Well, it's um, partly, I wonder if that's even why he agreed to do this. Is that it's possible, like, well, yeah. maybe that yeah. record isn't, maybe I'm not good enough, like on my own right now, or like maybe I'm, yeah, because I was reading, sure I'll, I'll do this thing with the other two just to like do something. I was reading, um, I think it was to Curtis's book, I can't remember, but there's a little section about this concert and it kind of created a stir like people really loved it and they seemed to like it and there was talk of more of course it never happened and it turns out that this was the last time that Lou shared a stage with 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 Nico you know Um, so it's you know it's kind of and the fact that it was recorded for film for television it's and it's 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 like Lou's it's like pre- pre Lou Reed as we know him mm-hmm. you know it's he's as like he kind knew of himself middle, even, yeah. or as he knew himself and it's it's super it's a super interesting concept. yeah specifically for Lou it's such a um it it just to dwell for a moment on that vulnerable aspect of it and in the specialness of it being the last performance of Lou and Nico together um it feels like they have reconciled something here um and you know so much about nico or lou's persona is like he's got he's got this attitude you know and and this night particularly there is an attitude but you can sense that he's like there's this exchange just friendly exchange between the three of them and there's a history there and they're they're celebrating it in their own way and they're enjoying each other's company and they're kind of like you know, asking and he's like in this music that they're they all made either individually or collectively, and there's not any, there's no like bigger picture. You know, it's like there's yeah. some historical stuff, there's some stuff that no one's heard. It's this completely relaxed environment, and no one has seen the likes of that before. Probably, I mean, obviously later on you have your 
MTV Unplugged kind of concept, right. um, which became incredibly successful. But this, I don't think many this bands... This is the like underground we're Unplugged, really. Yeah, no, it is. Yeah, I mean, it's true. <laughs> but it's like you're talking about the solo you know, and, and versus the band idea. And it's like, this, they did this back then where, I mean, I don't think many big, there's so many huge bands playing, big rock bands playing in big clubs and all the huge amplifiers and the fact that they can just do this acoustic show uh, so successfully is a testament to like their abilities, you know, yeah. as a band, you know, they're not just, I mean, obviously, other bands did that to a certain extent. But not every but, other band is the Velvet Underground. But they're not as cool. I mean, yeah, they're not yeah, as cool. certainly not as cool. <laughs> it's, they're not as cool, and they'll, they'll just never be as important. Uh, sorry. Right. Yeah, I mean, sorry. It's, just, yeah. it's amazing that this document exists. It's amazing that this concert happened, and it's amazing that it was filmed for TV, and it's amazing totally. that there's this like great of a like legit quality you know tape of the entire thing. Um, yeah. Because it's like it's such a privilege to be able to like listen to this and just sort of like breathe and live and hear with these three people, you know, from 50 fucking it's, it's been 50 years since this show. It's 72 when it was played. It's 2022. Half a a century ago. That's nuts. And you know, and I, I, you know, I was thinking about trying to contextualize this concert, you know, and, and talking to you guys and earlier, and I started reading more about it and listening to it again. And to me, and I sort of started saying this in the beginning when we first started talking, where it's like this document, it's not just an album, you know, you have you have albums, you have bootlegs, you throw them on, you love them, whatever. You talk about the fidelity, you talk about versions. But for me, this this document, and it's rare to have a, a bootleg where you can like real you kind of like pick up a story. There's a story there. Yeah, you know, totally. there's there's this these relationships that weren't exactly great, um, and there's a history with the Velvets. There's a future, and then there's this middle part, and there's this really intimate concert in this beautiful venue in Paris. And you think, you know, you hear them walking on stage, and you you maybe even think about what they did before the show and what they're doing after. It's this real person. It's it's very very personal feeling and, absolutely and, uh, i really dig that i really dig the narrative of it too and, and where you can kind of like really sense what what it was like you know yeah i mean th- uh, there's the the pitchforky there's the like uh, rock crit sort of um stance of like oh you have to only the velvet underground purists need apply but really what they're saying is that i, I mean it's nonsense because if you care about the band, then this is something that you will get something out of. It's it's not just yeah. about thinking it's cool. It's about thinking about, like you said, like these people as artists in their own lives and how they at this point converge and um, have this intentional reunion, which is like, uh, you know, uncharacteristic of all of them. Totally. Yeah. Or, or just a doc, a, a, a document of like, if you were, if you were teaching a class, for example, to some class about songwriting, and these people had no idea who who Nico, John, or Lou were, and you, I mean, they, maybe these students would fall asleep. I don't know. I have all respect <laughs> to teachers these days because I know it's a difficult job, but you could present this 
film and the album, particularly the film to a class and say like, these are three individuals who had a band, but they're also playing their own music and all their, the music is all different, but they're accompanying each other. And, you know, they're definitely John and Lou's lyrics particularly are really leaning into this like more experimental poetry kind of side and, and more of kind of like a fringe literature side of things and the music there's some classical stuff and there's some sort of just straight up rock and roll and r&b and i don't know what kind of encompasses all this to me it was really expressive interesting stuff it's not just like bruce springsteen singing like i mean no disrespect to him but you know what i mean it's not just <laughs> yeah, like these yeah. it's not well, these it's... like bombastic songs where it's like oh yes you know yeah, what I love so much about this is just like, because I mean, you think about like the Velvet's history, you know, and, and certainly John and Lou and Nico's, you know, kind of relationship in the Velvet's, it, it's so like, it's so fraught, it's so tied up with ego and this tension between who's in the band, who isn't, who gets to sing what songs, who gets songwriting credits on things and stuff like that. And like yeah, obviously yeah. it all collapsed, you know, within 18 months basically from when the band put their first record out to win. Nico and John were both just fucking out. Um, and and this feels like such a, like th- th- none of that is is present on this recording. Like all of the fucking ego and, and there's tension. There's no Warhol. No, there's no, no Warhol. Wins. Yeah, it's just yeah, these three no, people like, together just for one night, taking their own time together, you know, working together in the most kind of collaborative, productive uh, and and natural and kind of effortless kind of um, circumstances that you can imagine. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, you know, it, it, like, it kind of makes sense. This was just like, it was it. Like there's just one, this one show, there wasn't a tour. There wasn't like a, a studio record that they were going to go on to do. Obviously this was the last time yeah, any of yeah. them collaborated professionally until Drella. Um, again, in an official, official circumstance. It's fitting that there's the, the, the encore too, you know, after this beautiful version of um, I'll be your mirror is another Nico song. It's really Nico's show in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. She, she really does. Um, her her importance shines through. Um, yeah, and, true. And the way that they end the show, I mean, the one more song they pull out after a very final feeling, "I'll Be Your Mirror," the final feeling statement is um, "All Tomorrow's Parties," and it's uh, she gets all three of her all three of her Velvet songs up here. You listen to that last few seconds of "All Tomorrow's Parties," and it's the last seconds of the show, and it ends very abruptly, and that's the last time Lou and Nico ever played together. And it's just, uh, I don't know, it just is very, it's it's the extra song, and, and it's great that it's there, because it's like, yeah, it's one of their greatest songs. It's also so fitting to end the concert with that, you know, that yeah. song. It's just like so heavy, because... You we know. don't even need to say why. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's, it's just, just over. It's over. You know, like after yeah. that, it's like everything. Everything's different yeah. after after that. You know, great record, excellent record, great show. Man, wish I could have been there. 
Yeah, yeah. Me too. It's like, doesn't it feel like, does it feel like any show, like, uh, like, so we're talking about this in 2022, this show from 72. Are there going to be shows taking place in 2022 that people are having some bullshit no. 90 minute conversation about in 2072 like this? Like, it just doesn't. Oh my God. Not, not to so. cast any aspersions on your live performances, Steve, which are some of the greatest around from any working musician today. <laughs> but it's just like, it just feels like these giants from the past. It's just, yeah, it's just, isn't there anymore they're creating the thing yeah this is where the thing is being invented and created and made space for and i i think that uh we should say that there there should be shows that will be remembered in in 2072 because there can be and there ought to be and that's that's the goal you know every time you anybody goes out on stage the goal is to have a show that is worthy of that kind on of a podcast rem- exactly. <laughs> exactly. every time anybody goes on a podcast <laughs> every time we podcast we want this to be remembered forever and and also to me this personalizes them more their albums it, you know most velvet's albums there's always problems like they didn't like the mix there's a remix the label hated it right i mean which is also adds to the mystique as well which is amazing but you know and then of course, like later on, they're making records that the half of the band wasn't in. So it's like not even really a real band at that point towards the end. So to me, this concert kind of represents them more as like individuals and as people. It's more of a personal document than like throwing on white light, white heat, which I love. But I think there's a detached sort of sensibility to who they are when you put that record on it's like you hear the music and you're like you associate with the music but with this it's like you associate not just with the music but them as like you know and like as it's more obvious i've said this a hundred times but (laughs) you're associating it with like this personal personality yeah Yeah, the human beings yeah the interpersonal relationships lou and john what that was like john and nico what that was like lou and nico all three of them together it's such different kind of like relationships between all three of them it would be so cool if I mean I'll, maybe you know that Beatles movie that was on Disney. Oh, oh God! If I could, I'm not going to bring that. I don't. If mean only to bring there that. was. No, I love that thing. I just I like, do too. I just can't believe. I I don't even want to think about if there was such a thing for the Velvet Underground because I would pass away. because oh. it's like. But I, it's maybe just too this good is to think Maybe of, this is the closest thing. It kind really of does is, seem like yeah. it. You know, I mean that's is, kind of. Yeah. That, I guess that's my point. Is like. I was going to say, imagine that there was something like this that the Beatles did, but I guess that film, that, that new yeah, it, it thing is. kind of well, Yeah, really, that would Get be amazing. Is... Yeah, think about just like John and Paul and like Ringo or something hooking up for like one night of acoustic shit in 1974 colors. Like, yeah. That would have been just like mind blowing. Well, you know, I, I've said before that like, you know, snarkily uh, or annoyingly uh, that like white light, white heat is kind of like the the official like the definitive version of the band because it was just the four of them doing that but this is you know nobody's i'm not gonna say that the first v record is not the definitive version of that of that band either it, it no. is and, live 93 yeah. that's the definitive version well of the band. it is in a lot of, <laughs> it, it is but i mean as far as like the inclusion of nico which is you know half the story of the velvet underground as far as i'm concerned like this is um this is as much uh, 
an expression, a pure expression of that group as in fact, it's just, it is, it's so great that it exists because we have white light, white heat, which is the four of the, the core members. Mm-hmm. And this is the other side of that where it's, the three of the other real core members. Yeah, the three personnel, like the three people who had like these really like hard, rot, like murderous, torturous, emotionally charged relationships. Yeah, the singers, the lyricists of the group. Right. Yeah, the kind of mm-hmm. uh, 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 like creative combustion engine behind all of it, versus Sterling and and Mo, who were so essential musically, but like weren't necessarily uh, you know sleeping with each other or like getting in knocked down yeah. drag out fights with with each other like Lou and John were mm-hmm. yeah three How stars many stars yeah three, <laughs> well, three I feel like everything that. that we've done so far on this entire fucking Lou and John series has been a yeah. just unanimous three stars uh, just you wait. We'll we'll have to cover. Miss I guess Trial we did Sally point. and hey, listen, <laughs> Miss Trial, the original rapper. <laughs> Come good, on, uh, that's three stars oh, just for Oof. that. Hey, Pitch, you better check that. Better make sure the king is the original rapper. I have. I met. I met Lou once. No. Yeah, I met How, him. Once. You have you have fucking met every. Please, okay. You got to You got to give it to us to send it to okay. send it out. I I years ago I was working. I used to work at this art gallery. And it, the art gallery re- represented Julian Schnabel, the artist. Sure. Yes. And Great director Juli- as well. Yeah. And Julian Schnabel had this big art show. And, um, you know, I was kind of like working in the back in the storage area doing various things for clients and, and also like setting up the exhibits. Anyway, I'll try to make this short, but like Julian was there like every day before his show for like two weeks showing paintings and, you know, getting things ready actually was pretty nice guy. Um, And he was, he brought in a lot of people were coming to visit, which was really nuts. Like there would be days where like celebrities would come. So, and like, just, just to see his work. And so I'd have to like get his paintings and like show them blah, blah, blah. Anyway, the day before his show, (laughs) there was a private party and my, my boss asked me and my friend to kind of uh, run the party, you know, make sure, stay later, make sure we lock the doors, you know, make sure everything's okay. And the gates, we pulled the gates down and then people started showing up. Julian showed up and then all these people's like Christopher Walken showed up, Nicole Kidman. It was like, but there was only like, you know, 15 to 20 people there. So, but, but also like the gallery was closed. So the kitchen was open the bar was there's a bar you know open bar so that everyone was drinking and i was just like in this place with like a-listers it was pretty pretty wild jesus and lou was there and my friend and i we were like oh man dude this is our we have to talk to him like we have to talk to him and so we took a we gave it a little time and then he was kind of standing by himself and we just like went up to him like hey man like i just want to say hi like my name is steve like such a big fan blah 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 and he was like oh cool he's like how do you know julian and i was like well i kind of worked here and he's like oh okay okay like but he was he was like he was like so what do you guys you know he was like super friendly and like kind of nice i think because it was like a private thing it wasn't somebody like completely punishing him right i just we just wanted to say hi and chit chat for a second and like it was totally cordial and we was like all right nice to meet you man and like that was it 
but I, to, I saw him a few times walking around like new york but that that one time i got to like actually look him in the face and like shake his hand and like talk to him it's pretty pretty cool that's so cool that's like crafting his fucking story about meeting him and yeah, telling him that the bells john's was his pizza. favorite uh record. <laughs> at the pizza place at, yeah. exactly yeah, john's on bleaker <laughs> uh, did you guys said, did you guys do a podcast with him about that or we, yeah well he we did street legal yeah. with him and josh last year but he's coming back oh, on man. for the bells so we're gonna he's go amazing. we're gonna go through it again oh he's incredible yeah yeah serious i i had never known anyone with a bigger fucking record collection <laughs> no i don't yeah. think anyone has really one wild man it's um it's like the fucking wailing wall it's 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 insane it's like the smithsonian just in his in his in it's his totally home. yeah he's complete encyclopedia he's yeah. a madman it's really wild um well thank you so much steve thank uh, you thanks for having me um any plugs you have for anyone out there to listen to other you you're not touring right now right you're taking a break uh yeah i'm kind of home for a while i'm going to australia in uh, October, and I'm going to New Zealand in October. Whoa, hell yeah. Super, super psyched on that. Beautiful. Um, yeah, working on new music and walking around New York. Beautiful. Thank you again, Steve. Uh, yeah, folks, thank you guys. Go buy fun. the Lou Reed, Lewis Reed t-shirt, jokerman.net. Jokerman. And what Sunday's long and dry.